fell right down that rabbit hole So reality is questionable Try but you just can't let it go These two right here put on the show It's paranormal overload with southern hospitality Haunted murder mayhem tip while discussing immortality Locations with a dark past History that comes to life Hillbillies with a knack for Everything that goes bump at night Overthinking if you by yourself These two will have you turning on the lights Mixing in a little comedy to make sure it all fits in just right Hey, Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Story Now here's your hosts Jerry and Tracy Paul Heather Dolph Ninja Sometimes they're cat Freddy, but never the ferrets. Tracy, we are so excited for our upcoming live event in Indianapolis with Tragedy of Cinema and Middle Aged and Creeped Out. Yes, we're looking forward to seeing all of you. I'm Todd. I'm Nate. And I'm Sean. And we are Middle Aged and Creeped Out. We are looking forward to sharing some creepy stories with all of our hometown listeners. I'm Jimbo with the Tragedy of Cinema. And I'm Kyle, also with Tragedy of Cinema. Indy is also our hometown, and we have the perfect horror movie to break down for you guys. Come out and see us on Saturday, July 16th at the VFW on South Lockburn and help veterans at the same time. All three shows are clean, so this is a family-friendly event. Tickets are just $20. Seating is limited, so get your tickets now at hillbillyhorrorstories.com. Hey guys, welcome to episode 310 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. And I'm Tracy. Tracy. Yes. We always start off the same way. Tonight's no different. We want to say a big thank you, especially as the 4th of July is coming around here for us Americans, our celebration of our Independence Day. And I want to say a big thank you to all of our military and civil servants of our allied troops and forces all over the world, no matter which country you represent. Thanks to all of you for everything you do every day for us. We do appreciate you guys so much. I hope you all know that. And we pray for you guys every day. Thank you for protecting us and taking care of our country for us. We love y'all. Also, as we normally do. Uh, and all you got to do is spend five minutes on Facebook and you'll see that there's a lot of people going through turmoil. We've got some friends that have lost pets. We've got friends that have lost relatives mm -hmm. on the past week. Um, people struggling financially, whatever the situation is, just know that you've got people who care about you and you got people you can talk to. It could be friends, family members, or it could just be Tracy or myself. It could be somebody in our Facebook group. It could be somebody that's a therapist. True. Whatever. Uh, and we're excited that we're actually getting ready to start a long-term um, partnership with BetterHelp. Yes, we're very excited so about that. So that'll be starting up in the next uh, week or so. Yes. But uh, that's very a, grateful for that. Yeah, it's a very it's a very good partnership for us, and it's something we don't take lightly. But just know that you've got people that you can talk to, whether it's professional help or. Uh, just somebody that can lend an ear. Uh, Tracy, what's an option that they can use if they don't want to use us or the group? They can call the 800 number, and that's 800-273-8255. You can also text us 741-741. we got a lot of love to give you guys, so please reach out and let us help you if we can. Absolutely. So, Tracy, I've teased this episode a few times over the last couple of months. And it's time that we actually got down and did the story. 
Well, you are a tease. I like, know. All the time. I mean, when you look like this, I mean, and you're I mean, married, you can't just, you know. Yeah, I get it, you know. <laughs> I mean, I get down on my knees and say, thank you, Lord. Mm, not lately. So. <laughs> you suck. Oh, don't you say, Dengar, don't you dare. Don't you dare. Just snort. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> oh, she's got red face. <laughs> My bad, y'all. We're going to discuss the haunted, haunted, the haunted <laughs> Huzak Tunnel. The, right off the bat, there was confusion because I wanted to make sure we pronounced it yeah. right. So I looked up four or five different stories. A couple said Huzak. Couple said Huzak. <laughs> and we're gonna go with Husak because the was, news people it said a, it. It was the news people who actually said Husak, so I'll go I figured they're local, they probably know. Or we could just call it what the other nickname is. What? The bloody pit. Oh, I don't like that. <laughs> Not even. And of course this is in uh, in Massachusetts, so after the story, we have a paranormal investigator, Jeff Walker, on to talk about the Bell Mansion. Nice. And a couple other places he's been to. But the Bell Mansion, he does a lot of stuff with up in Fort Wayne, Indiana. So Good. Really cool. Really cool uh, interview we got a chance to do. All right. So let's get back to the Husak Tunnel. It is still an active railroad tunnel. It is in Florida, Massachusetts, which is in the western part of the state. Now, it passes through the Hoosac Mountain Range, which is an extension of the Vermont Green Mountains. Thought that everybody needed to know that. Gosh, that's a lot to remember. The Hoosac Tunnel technically goes back to 1819. Now, that, that's at least when it was originally proposed to have something done there, because they wanted to use that area as a port of a canal system that runs, runs, runs from Boston, Massachusetts, to Albany, New York. So they needed some way to be able to get to, yeah. from point A to point B up there. And there really wasn't much there in 1819. But after having a civil engineer look at it in 1825 and then survey a route, it was determined that the project was going to be way too costly and it carried too much uncertainty. So it got scrapped. Well, they needed that engineer on that other story we just talked about, which still is pissing me off to this day. What's, well, since yesterday. <laughs> what story? About the big stupid oh. that building that fell down and because they didn't do what they were supposed to do. Right. But anyway, go ahead. So no other route could be found. Uh, there was no way around this huge mountain. So there was only, the only thing they could do eventually was go, go through, through the mountain. Easier said than done in Gosh. the 1800s. Can you imagine? I mean, I know I keep interrupting you, but we talk about that a lot. But how much and how long it would take to do something like that just like on the on 64 like those big rock mountains on the other side of us and we just talk about how in the world they did that well you're getting ready to find out how long it actually takes oh, in this situation good. in 1841 there was a self-made uh, paper mill owner very rich man his name was alva crocker he was kind of irritated that the western railroad which was in uh the more southern part of the state they traveled through Worcester and onto Springfield, and they left a lot of the northern cities kind of out in the cold. So he didn't like that because this affected his paper mills. So he lobbied for the creation of a more northern route 
which would favor his paper mills. Good. In 1845, Albert Crocker had opened his Fitchburg Railroad that went from Boston to Greenfield. Now, Crocker knew that the only way to complete his route would be to climb the Deerfield River Valley and go through the Hoosack Mountains, which was right in the way. In 1848, the Troy and Greenfield line was charted, which was the uh, route that would go through the mountain. Okay. So now they got it on paper. The initial cost to bore through the mountain was thought to be right around $2 million and would take about five years. No kidding. Yes. On January 8th, 1851, the ground was broken on the north Adam side is what they called it because you got two sides of the mountain. So they didn't just start on one end and go. They started on both ends and worked away oh, to the, the middle. middle. Right. Okay. Oh, that makes sense. They felt that they had the best equipment that money could buy. And that equipment was going to be on full display during the summer of 1852 when the infamous $25,000 Wilson's patented stone cutting machine started chewing away at the mountain. This is 1840s, $25,000 one piece of equipment. Yeah, well, yeah, $2 million is a lot for back then. Yeah, but... You, but still, I get yeah. you. Yeah. I mean, just think, a car costing $25,000 was a lot of money oh, yeah, 20 definitely. years ago. Oh, gosh. So you could imagine what a piece of machinery would have been, you know... Don't that, wouldn't that make you feel good, though, just to know you could afford something like that to make such a huge... Oh, yeah. So the machine was supposed to cut 24 foot through the tunnel. And it would have taken 1,556 working days. So a little over five years. The plan was for the machine to cut the rock. Then the cut rock would be blasted out. Okay, yeah. So it's not going to just... Don't think about it like a um, like a bobcat well, going like in and, and, yeah. and taking a big hunk of dirt and out And then of the taking time. it back out, yeah. So what this would do, it, would, it wouldn't be hauling out big clumps of rock at the one time it would be cut into the rock and then they would have to put explosive in there and blast it away yes like you know yeah but i'm just like, saying the machine's not gonna paul. sit there and like work like a bulldozer or something like that no and just, pull just it. like you know like paul did on little house yeah and i knew there's a part of this that we're gonna get to and i knew as soon as we did you were gonna bring that up i can't help it he's he's hot he knows what to do anyway so we're looking at five years if everything went as planned. And as you probably guessed by now, Uh-oh, nothing went as planned. everything did not go oh, as planned no. or we wouldn't even be doing the story. After about 12 feet of digging, the machine seized up. What? Quit 12 working. stinking feet? Yeah. The, well, remember, they were only going to do 24 feet. But anyway, long, long story short, 12 feet, it was done. The machine actually stayed in a, in the grave that it basically dug for itself for several years because it didn't. But I guess there wasn't no fixing it. They just, you know, it is what it is. We're just not going to use it. We're going to start digging by hand. Oh Lord! And in fact, here's something you'll find interesting: the hole that it dug can still be seen today, though it's kind of grown up a little bit, but it's still there, that initial hole that that thing dug, and it's often referred to as the false start. The false start. But here's why. That was never, what it was working on was never meant to be the tunnel. That was like a test area. 
So they didn't even get it past the test area and the uh, $25,000 machine. Well, but, I mean, working. I was going to say, how how did they was going to have to move the machine anyway to get through to the other side? That's why they didn't move it. Ah, gotcha. So the engineers realized that the only way. Dude, I bet that dude was mad. <laughs> they spent twenty five grand on that thing and it didn't do what it was supposed to do. Oh, I guarantee. So the engineers realized the only way they could do it was by hand. And they were going to have to use what they called a star drill. Now, a star drill, think of, and this is where you're going to go to your little house. Think of a sort of a chisel with a step, except of having just like a pointed end or, or a, you know, a, a flat end, like a Phillips screwdriver type end. It actually had a star shape to it. They were cutting blades. So what would happen is they would lay it down. And then it would be held by one man while a second man hit it with a 20-pound double sledgehammer. And then the chisel had to be spun by hand in between each hit of the sledgehammer. Oh, my my gosh. And you have to be very trusting of that person using that daggone hammer. Can you imagine if your hand got hit? So they would use this along with black powder as explosive. Wow. Well, I mean, that must have took 25 years. You're closer than you think. Oh. So anyway, obviously this was a dangerous job, but not as dangerous as the blasting crews. One of the teams drilled about two feet. Then they would fill the hole with black powder and blast. In 1854, Alva Crocker um, actually secured a $2 million loan because now it's taking a lot more time, yeah. a lot more money from the state, but there were numerous strings attached. One of them was $600,000 had to be sold in stocks, which didn't happen, so work was halted for the winter of 1856. No work at all, because there was no money. Would you rather work in the winter time? Oh, no. No. Especially like not in inside? Massachusetts. Well, I know that, but they're, it's... They're huh? not inside. It's oh, a, well, that's true. <laughs> I guess that's right. Yeah, it would be pretty cold. Well, then they should be thanking their lucky stars. During the spring of 1856, the Troy and Greenfield Railroad hired a gentleman by the name of Herman Hopped. He was a well-known and respected railroad engineer from the uh, Pennsylvania Railroad. They hired him for $3.9 million in 1856. Uh, th- wait, they, so they paid him $3.9 million or? Well, that's what, at least what he was going to get paid. I don't know if he fully got paid or not. Look at that. But he came in and he's fully responsible at this point for the tunnel, but also the entire right of way for the Troy Greenfield. So he's only got to handle the tunnel. It's the whole rest of the, mm-hmm. the mission to begin with. Now, this is where major problems started, primarily with the tunnels, um, the tunneling techniques that they were using. That's a lot of pressure to put on somebody, like one person. But anyway, he's getting paid a lot of money. That's a lot of money today. Mm-hmm. You can imagine 170 years ago how much money it is. So that's going to come know. with a lot of responsibility. So the main problems that they were having was with the tunneling techniques. It was on one side, the west side, they had a lot of what they would call crumbly stone. So... When they would be digging, each time a shovel was removed, mm-hmm. it's like all this other just crumbled and fell right back in its place. Oh, God, so that's they were, annoying. They were, I mean, I would think that would be easier. 
because well, you're not having to blast it out. It's just falling into place. You just got to keep shoveling it out. Right. I would think that would be easier, but apparently that was a problem. Workers described it as shovels full of eels. I don't know why they would describe it. Eels like a snake? Eels, yeah. Well, they're not snakes. They're underwater. Well, yeah, yeah. But well, they're all, like all the same to me. The problem would ultimately require six to eight layers of bricks in tube form to support the tunnel. Because it wasn't stable. You can't really have a tunnel if the top's constantly it's falling, falling down, down on you. down on you. No, that's true. On the east side, layers of quartz were extremely difficult to blast through. So they had two completely... This, tunnel, opposite, yeah, this well, tunnel, by the way, from one end, from one side of the, of the uh, mountain to the other side was like four and a half miles. Okay. I was wondering, I was going to ask you that yeah, earlier, four and I forgot. Half miles. On the end with the quartz, they decided they were going to bring in another one of those $25,000 machines. But after a test, they gave up on it. This machine must have been crap. It or must at least, have been, at least it wouldn't work in, on the, the mountain they were needing it to be working on. Now, I could bore you with all the details. Bore. <laughs> I see what you did. But, and, and literally, this goes on for years of, of little problems. But like I said, I'm really not going to get into all the details to all the little problems because we would be here all day and then eventually yeah. you're just going to be bored out of your mind. So we're just going to get to the good part. Bottom line, this tunnel was taking forever to dig and with several problems, making it even slower and more tedious as time went on. Oh, I'm surprised they didn't just give up. Well, then like anything else, politics got involved. Mainly the Western Railroad, because we initially said that was the railroad that he was kind of ticked off at because they were bypassing all the northern cities. Yeah. Well, now they had competition because he started his own railroad. And uh, they were kind of ticked off and they saw them as a threat. And especially this new route, this Troy to Greenfield route was going to be uh, a huge threat to them. So the new governor, which by the name was Frank Byrd, he took Western's side and he worked hard to derail I did it again, the tunnel's <laughs> progress. Because of all this, the politics involved and everything, Hopped, the guy that they paid the $3.9 million, he left and decided to build a railroad for the Union, for the Union Army. They needed railroads. So he just left and said, screw it. You guys are making my life a living hell here. I'm not going to be able to get anything accomplished. And he just leaves. So I don't know if he got paid just up until that, that point. point. Mm-hmm. Like it was a prorated salary or if he didn't get any money or whatever the deal was. I really don't even know at this point. Um, I mean, he'd only been there for, I think, a year, year and a half. Mm-hmm. You know, well, I'm sure like how that. frustrating that could be. Now, with him gone, progress slowed to a crawl. On August 18th, 1862... Troy and Greenfield defaulted on their mortgage, and the state took over. Man, everybody just threw their hands up in the air. I guess so. At this point, there were 10 to 15 miners working around the clock. Well, bless her heart. How do they keep that going? And on top of that, the Civil War had started and slowed things down even more. The tunnel would eventually be completed in 1875, 24 years after work had started. Amazing. So a five-year project. Yes, yes. 24 years. Along the way, 196 workers were killed in various accidents. Oh. Thus the nickname, the Bloody Pit. The biggest of these accidents was the Central Shaft Accident. This happened on October 17th, 1867. 
Workers this day were digging the tunnel's 1,028-foot vertical exhaust shaft. The central shaft was left in charge by a man named Carl... I'll probably screw this up. It looks like Charles Waterkinch. Now, his job was to make sure that it was perfectly straight and in line with the tunnel. It's a shaft, after all. Man, how can you get that perfectly straight? The central shaft was a death trap, to say the least. So on this day, a candle in the hoist building ignited naphtha fumes. And naphtha, by the way, is a, it's a flammable liquid hydrocarbon. It's a mixture of from that comes from crude oil. Okay. Like the fumes that come from that. These fumes had leaked from what they called a gasometer lamp, which is how they mm-hmm. were able to, to see, like a lantern type deal. The explosion set the hoist house on fire and it collapsed into the shaft. Let me tell you about this hoist house. The tunnels would fill with water, okay? Mm-hmm. So picture like an oil derrick. You know, you see these oil rigs out on the ocean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you, all these steel beams and stuff over top, and it held a bunch of uh, equipment. Oh, yeah. But yeah. it was set up over top of the hole that you go down into. Mm-hmm. Now, this is also where all the pumps and stuff work, and this is one of the main reasons it was built. It was like a pump house. Also, the water was filling up down in a tunnel, so the pumps would empty it out. Okay? Yeah. Well, this pump house, or, or as they call it, a hoist house, that's what catches on fire from the gas and the, the candle and stuff. When it did, almost the whole rig, the setup, the beams, everything, they collapsed into the shaft where oh, the men were. no. There were four men at the top of the shaft. They all escaped. But there were 13 men that were below in the tunnel when this thing went. And they now they were all trapped. 538 feet below with fire and iron beams falling down into the shaft. The pumps, by the way, were fully destroyed, so guess what? Now the water flooded in. The tunnel started to fill with water. The next day, a worker by the name of Mallory was lowered down into the shaft by a rope. He was quickly overcome by fumes, but he reported that there were no survivors. Therefore, no further rescue attempts were made. Unfortunately, oh no, there was somebody alive. Several months later, workers reached the shaft's bottom and they found that several of the workers had survived long enough to actually make a raft to float on so they wouldn't drown before they eventually suffocated. Now, obviously, there was a lot more deaths than 13. There's 190 some over the years. So there were some other incidents and we mentioned earlier about the explosives. Most of them were using the black powder, but there was a brand new, brand new shiny explosive at this time, nitroglycerin. Oh. Nitroglycerin was very unstable. Yeah. That was on Little House, too. Also. Yeah. Well, in March of 1865, three explosive experts by the name of Ned Brinkman, Billy Nash, and Ringo Starr. I'm just kidding, it's Ringo Kelly. (laughs) They decided to give this new nitro stuff a shot. The three went down and they set up the charge. The three ran off to safety, but Ringo 
set off the charge a little too quickly. He didn't make it. Did the other two make it out? No, he made it. What? How'd he make it out? He was the one that ran out and set the charge. So Brinkman and Nash were not able to get out of the way, and they were buried under tons of rocks. Some suspected that maybe Ringo did this on purpose. Well, that's rude. Why would you do that? I don't know. They might have had some differences. Well, come on. Whatever the case, Ringo disappeared shortly after this. So here's the crazy part. Ringo eventually was found. He turned up. It was 10 days later. He was two miles into the tunnel, right near where his two partners had died. He had apparently been strangled. There were no suspects, but most of the other tunnel workers seemed to be convinced that Ringo had been killed by the ghost of Brinkman and Nash. So yeah. you just... How you doing? You disappear for 10 days. Then Paybacks you just, a bit. Then you just show up where those two yeah, men died. Yeah, why would you do that? And you've been strangled. Maybe he came back to his, pay his condolences or something. I don't know. But that's only the beginning of the ghost stories here. The workmen after this, they complained of hearing cries of agony coming from a man inside the tunnel. And then most of them refused to go in the tunnel after dark. As you can imagine, that's a problem. Oh, yeah, they, they had to be working 24-7. So, ahead. in September of 1868, a former cavalry officer and a mechanical engineer by the name of Paul Travers was asked to check out the tunnel and do a little investigation. He and the manager of the excavation, a gentleman by the name of Mr. Dunn, they went into the tunnel. Now, they didn't expect to hear or see anything, really, to be honest with you. They suspected it was just wind whipping through the tunnel, making the noises, and that's what the workers were hearing. But instead, both heard the voice of a groaning man, just like the workers had heard. Travers wrote in his report, I'll admit, I haven't been this afraid since Shiloh. Obviously, he was referring to the Battle of Shiloh in the Civil War. So. Yeah. Go ahead. I'll tell it at the end. <laughs> a month after this is when the 13 men were discovered that had been trapped that we talked about earlier. So let's talk about that. I said that the bodies weren't discovered for months after the accident, right? Yes. Before they were discovered, workers were talking about seeing dead men as ghosts. That's what they were saying. Some of them said that they saw them in a tunnel. And sometimes they saw them on a mountain, but in all cases, they were carrying their tools. They reported hearing muffled screams and moans near the flooded shaft where the men had died. So my question to you is, were these ghosts moaning? Or were they actually hearing the men trying to get somebody's attention for help? Because they possibly weren't dead yet. After a month? Well, I mean, they might have found rats or something down there to eat on or something. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. It's just, it's just a whole thing's a terrible situation. It's because it's like, you know, I'm sure the majority of these men have been digging on that daggone tunnel forever and ever and ever, and then they didn't even get to see the end result. And, you know, to die the way they did is just terrible. Well, the the ghost sightings stopped after the the bodies of the victims were found. Oh, they did. Yeah, once they were found and they were buried, 
the workers didn't see any more ghosts. But the moans and the groans They kept going on. Yeah, they kept going. Four years after the explosion, there was a doctor by the name of Clifford Owens. He had a PhD, and he was asked to investigate. So now you're four years later, and Mm -hmm. there's still so many... Unanswered questions. Unanswered questions and ghosts and sightings, or I guess uh, hearings, we should say. They bring it in and just got to check it out. He brought a gentleman by the name of James McKinsey with him. And they entered the tunnel at 11.30 p.m. Here is what he wrote in his official report. We had traveled about two full miles into the shaft when we finally halted to rest. Except for the dim, smoky light cast by our lamps, the place was cold and dark as a tomb. James and I stood there talking for a minute or two. We were about to turn back when suddenly I heard a strange, mournful sound. It was just as if someone or something was suffering great pain. The next thing I saw was a dim light coming along the tunnel from the westerly direction. At first, I believed it was probably a workman with a lantern. Yet, as the light grew closer, it took on a strange blue color, and it appeared to change shape and almost turn into a form of a human being without a head. The light seemed to be floating about a foot or two above the tunnel floor. In the next instant, it felt as if the temperature had suddenly dropped, and a cold, icy chill ran up and down my spine. The headless form came so close that I could have reached out and touched it, but I was too terrified to move. For what seemed like an eternity, Mackenzie and I just stood gasping at the headless thing like two wooden Indians. The blue light remained motionless for a few seconds as if it were actually looking us over. And then it floated off, towards the east side of the shaft and vanished into thin air. Well, cool. At least both of them saw it. Yeah, both of them saw it. So, that's the haunted part. And for what it's worth, the very first train actually passed through the tunnel in February of 1875. Like I said, the tunnel's still in use today, and as you probably imagine, people still continue to tell ghost stories and uh, talk about a presence in the dark and some, they feel like sometimes it's helpful, and sometimes it's not really helpful. It can be threatening. They even persist that the sound of muffled moans and groans are still heard there on a regular basis. I mean, can you imagine? I'm, I'm sure there, there are a lot of it, because that's to work so hard for all those years and to have everything that went on there. It's just unimaginable that that happened. Very sad. Well, that's the story of the Hussack Tunnel. I mean, I'm glad it's still going. And maybe they can look down from heaven now and go, look, guys, it's done. Or maybe they don't care. I think I'd want to know. I mean, you put all that, you know, blood, sweat, and tears in it and kill yourself trying to get that thing done. I can't imagine how hard that was for those guys. I mean, that's like the hardest thing ever to do. I mean, for as long as it takes just to dig out a little bit and then realize you got four and a half miles. Yeah. They're heroes that went to heaven. Yep. All right. Well, what we're going to do is take a quick sponsor break and then we'll be back with uh, 
some iTunes reviews, some quick housekeeping, and then uh, we'll listen to Jeff Walker. All right, Tracy, real quick, I want to remind people because we're two weeks away now for the live event in Indianapolis, us, Middle Aged and Creeped Out, and Tragedy of Cinema. It's we are. Be I'm so excited. And for those of you who are coming, um, we there wasn't going to be food, but we're going to have hot dogs, chips, and drinks available. It's going to be like, a, it's just something we're doing ourselves just to give you guys a little food while you're there. Yeah, but we have it's a, in a cool Coca Cola thing. Yeah, we have a, a new hot dog steamer that uh, we decided that we were going to use for some of these events. Yeah, we didn't have food, so we'll make it cheap. It'd be like a hot dog, drink, and uh, chips for like five bucks or something. That'd mm-hmm. be before and warm steamy buns, like yes. at the ballpark. There are warm steamy buns, nice. just like just like if the air conditioner doesn't work that day. There'll be plenty. Oh, they are. Let's hope that don't happen. <laughs> but anyway, that'll be fun. We have, obviously, our next live event right after that, a uh, month later, August 20th, Old Hospital on College Hill. That's going to be fun. Annie Weaves and Brendan Shea from Serial Spirits is going to be there. And everybody gets a tour that mm-hmm. comes to the show. So you'll want to you'll want to see it. It was featured on uh, the season ending of, uh, season finale of season two of uh, that one TV show. With Dakota, just completely drew a destination fear. I'm yeah, sorry. destination fear. Drew a blank on it. Dakota and his hot sister, and uh, <laughs> I probably shouldn't say that, but anyway, she's extremely cute. Anyways, <laughs> whatever turns you on, baby. <laughs> no, um, anyway, so we got that, and then uh, we have our new peach cobbler mix, and we'll have all of our jams and jellies and peach cobbler and barbecue sauce and salad dressings and stuff at the live events. Yeah. So, People can pick them up there. Yeah, if you want them, that is. Yes. Go ahead, Tracy. What do we got going on? First off, Mojo Lobster. <laughs> we love you so much, baby. Thank you so much for writing a review every week. You're amazing. And I know that I'm going to totally screw this up, but it's Zaria Lothialian. Lothialian. <laughs> I know there's a good word there. I know it, but I'm just messing it up. And I apologize, but thank you guys for your reviews. You're so awesome. It puts a smile on my face every time I read them. So thank you guys so much. And that's about all I got. Awesome. All right. Let's uh, listen to Jeff Walker. Let us do it. Hey, guys. I'm excited to have paranormal investigator Jeff Walker. Jeff lives up in the Fort Wayne area up there with our buddies Justin Rimble and Shane Waters. Uh, it's amazing how many people that I've come to know over the last, you know, several years in the Fort Wayne area. It's, uh, it's like a hotbed up there for, for paranormal and true crime. Jeff, thanks for coming on, buddy. Yes, sir. I'm definitely glad to be here. Thanks for having me on the show, Jerry. Jeff, you are a paranormal investigator and you've got some video stuff in the works, uh, for, uh, what hopefully will end up turning out to be a television show, but it'll probably start out on YouTube. You were telling me a little bit earlier, you've got all kinds of involvement with, uh, uh, some local stuff you got going. So, you know, let's start with this. I want to get into the paranormal investigating first. 
And you have some uh, connections up there. I see you're you're at a lot of different functions at Bell Mansion in Correct. your area. Tell me a little bit about Bell Mansion first of all, and then tell me uh, what kind of what kind of uh, experiences you've had there. Oh man! Um, so the Bell Mansion. So um, it opened up to the public back in December. And originally it was going to be opened up as an Airbnb. And those plans kind of fell through because you have to change the use of build the building. And so that was that was kind of a expensive. So they're like, all right, let's bring a paranormal team in here. So it was Old World Paranormal Society, um, which is Nick's group um, that uh, runs it through there. And uh, let's come in here and see if we can you know, see if this place is haunted or whatnot. And through doing a bunch of EVPs and things like that, he's got well over 300 pieces of evidence um, of things there. So it's, I call it to this day, it's a paranormal playhouse. So, Do you think that's uh, because, it, because it's just recently been opened up to paranormal investigating? Do you think that contributes? I think there's a lot of things that contribute to it. Um, so the, the building was built back in 1893, and so it's well, the building's well over 130 years old. The exterior of the building is actually made out of old Indiana limestone, um, which I know in the paranormal community that there tends to have some sort of energy that is drawn to limestone. So we also kind of think that's another reason why there's so much activity there. But then get this. It was also a funeral home for 93 years. Nice. So that's, I think that's where I call a lot of people when they want to go and investigate, they're like, man, this was a funeral home for 93 years and, you know, tons of activity. It's an old building. Um, there's an estimated, you know, 300,000 to 600,000 bodies that were embalmed there because that was the only place here in Fort Wayne for about 40 years that actually did embalming activity. So let's talk about that. There's a couple of things you just brought up that I, that I like to talk about uh, on occasion. So let's bring up the limestone question. Do you believe that the limestone yourself, that the, that the limestone does absorb energies, whether it be positive or negative? Uh, I know there's a lot of people that, like you said, they really believe that it is a factor in some of these locations. What are your thoughts on the limestone? Yeah, um, with me being... A little bit newer into the investigation field. Um, I'm actually doing research myself, you know, because before I got into investigating, I was a huge skeptic. Until I started having experiences, I was like, I don't know about this, you know. So I've always had these questions, and I'm like, well, I guess there's only one thing to do: go into the investigating field and start trying to figure things out for myself, and then surround myself with people who've been in the field for a while. Um, so yeah, that's. That's like a TBD for me right now um, to, to understand the whole, you know, energy side of everything with the paranormal. So it sounds like something happened in your life that made you want to dig a little deeper because you said you were a skeptic and then you wanted to start investigating and surrounding yourself. So what happened to make you want to start investigating? So it's because obviously something happened. It's, it's not like a, a flip, uh, switch was flipped. Right. Um, I mean, I've when I was in middle school, I grew up watching a TV show called A Haunting. Um, Love it. Favorite watched, show ever. I know. I was just like, 
before that, and I'm really probably outdating myself a little bit here. It was unsolved mysteries. <laughs> oh yeah, so, that's that's another. That's the, that was the greatest of all time. So yeah, you can't. Those are the the two kings in my world. It is, it is, and I I still watch them to this day. I was like, man, it's like now I look where I've I've ended up. I'm like, this is really cool. But to kind of set back where I started, you know, my most recent experience was probably the best experience I've had. Um, was probably back in late 2018. Um, I was downtown here in Fort Wayne going on a run. And long story short, there's this hospital, the St. Joe Hospital that was to my right. There's a parking lot that's to the left. And I was just kind of running, getting ready to go up to this stoplight. And so I started slowing down. I just kind of stopped way before that. And I just kind of looked at that just to just to my left. And I looked up a little bit, and all I saw was this, I don't know, it was this bluish greenish orb. Also kind of reminded me of Tinkerbell. Um, there was this orb that just kind of had some sparks. It was like a firework that just kind of was just like kind of went up, swooped up, went down, went back up, and then just like disappeared. And to this day, I just, I don't know. I was just like, all right, maybe, you know, it's some of my brains playing jokes with me, or maybe I was a true paranormal experience. It could be, you know, I had a sister that passed away. Um, early in 2018. Sorry to hear so that. Like, well, maybe that could be, you know, her coming to visit me, letting me know, like, hey, everything's okay. I'm good. Um, and I just, I don't know. So I was just like, all right, well, let me see if there's anything around here, you know, that there's investigation teams or places I can go and investigate. And it's not until actually December of last year with the Bell, Na- the Bell Mansion. Uh, became open and I went there and attended a public event um, with old paranormal society and uh, from there I've kind of been one of those residual spirits <laughs> like I started there I've never left so I'm able to experience the the people that I've been able to meet there it, it has been beyond incredible uh, I said that you had said I mentioned a couple of things that I like to bring up. And the, and the first was on the limestone. The second thing is on the funeral home aspect. Some people think, well, there's really no need for a funeral home to be haunted because by the time the people get there, they've already dead and their spirits are probably gone. So why would the funeral home be haunted? And then there's some people say, well, there's so many bodies that went there that came through, like you said, in that case, 300 to 600,000. Uh, possible bodies that were embalmed there. What are your thoughts on the possibility of a funeral home being haunted? And why do you think that it would be haunted? I honestly believe um, everybody, not just from the, the bodies being embalmed there, but everybody that's came in there for, you know, a, either an event or a funeral or to the, you know, previous homeowners you know because of before as a funeral home it owned it was owned by two uh former families so the bells were the first uh family and then the second family was the nobles and then the claims are the ones that turned it into a funeral home from 1927 to 2018 okay 
So I think everybody also brings different energies. You know, we do have a couple of spirits there that are actually not originally from the Bell Mansion. And not to freak people out when I talk about this, but one of those spirits did follow one of the investigators home from Indiana State Sanitarium. Now he resides on the third floor. And so when I give tours and stuff, we we speak of his name and you just know that's this is place to hang out now. So <laughs> it's funny you mentioned Indiana State uh, Sanitarium because my uh, my friend Justin Rimmel that we just brought up earlier that lives in Fort Wayne. He just went there and did an investigation a few nights ago and he was telling me how active that place was and that we definitely need to get out there at some point in time. Have you been there yourself uh, to the sanitarium? I have not. Um, I've only been to a handful of places. Um, obviously, aside from being to the Bell, I've been to the uh, Asher Walton House there in Atlanta, Indiana. And then just a handful of weeks ago, we went to the Ohio State Reformatory. Um, that was a whole <laughs> experience in its own. It's, it's a place I would definitely go back and back and back again. Yeah, I've been to the outside, but I've never been inside. We went there during COVID and they were doing some, uh, it was shut down because of COVID, but they were also doing some kind of uh, restoration work when we were out there. So they had it closed off. But yeah, it's a very intimidating building just on the outside. I can't imagine what it's like on the inside. I, I had no words, especially for you know me being there in the investigation field. You know, when you were saying, hey, this is, you know, 250,000 square feet, you know, it's, uh, it's got the world's tallest freestanding cell at six tiers. And let me tell you, my knees were feeling it because we did an <laughs> overnight there. And by the by that night, I was just like, you know what? Us having three, uh, you know, floors at the Bell Mansion, that's not as bad now compared to walking up, you know, six tiers of steps. Yeah, I could imagine. And that place got all kinds of negative history to it, as most prisons do. And then, of course, you've got the, the movies and stuff that were shot there. It just makes it a very interesting place all the way around. Oh, yeah. It's, as soon as when we're given the, getting the tour and all that, I'm just all these questions and all of these things were just popping up in my head. It's like, well, this is a first. You know, I, uh, they've got multiple different challenges that you can do there. And one of them was the East Cell Block Challenge, um, which I've actually posted on my social media. So you, you walk around this East Cell Block, and it takes you, well, <laughs> give or take, depending on how quickly you like to walk. Um, it took me a little bit over four minutes to walk around this entire block. But you do it with no flashlight, and you just go right, right around the block by, your, by yourself. And the only thing I had with me was my night vision body cam and uh just i don't know me being a scare actor like that was pretty intimidating <laughs> you know you have it felt like every time that you walk past one of those black cells that there's just somebody just constantly watching you or like you were constantly being followed there's a couple of moments that i had during that that i felt somebody was breathingly breathing heavily on my neck so there's a couple, yeah, so there's a couple moments I was on video. Okay, what the hell was that? <laughs> um, so that a lot, led to a lot of questions. I'm like, you know, I'd do that again, but dang, the further down, the further I walked in down the uh, the cell, it just got darker and darker. I'm like, I was like, guys, I can barely see the hand in front of me right now. It's, it's It definitely takes a whole new experience and uh, a lot of activity. 
you know, we didn't get as much rent pot activity as we wanted. Um, but did hear some disembodied voices. Um, I did sit inside uh, Jonathan Lockhart's cell, which is number 13. Which apparently, he's the one that he uh, burned himself alive in that cell mm -hmm. block. And uh, so that's, you know, I don't know if it was my head playing with me or what, but just sitting in that cell block, I'm like, all right, I can't spend much time in here at all. <laughs> You had mentioned uh, being a haunt actor, so that was something that you've you've obviously uh, spent a lot of time doing. And the the hopeful television television show that you're putting out, you said that kind of makes it cool that you have a haunt actor that's now turned investigator gives a little bit different uh, aspects and view than what some of these other shows do. And that you said that it's uh, one thing that's different is it's going to involve other paranormal investigators and kind of showcase some other different groups. Tell me a little bit about how, how this thought uh, to, to come up with this uh, show came to be and uh, what you hope for it in the future. Yeah. So, you know, like I said, being from the scare acting side where, you know, we're obviously being the ones, you know, the ones doing all the scaring. It's just like, all right, let's put myself on the other side. And let's just see how daring I am, you know, investigating, you know, true paranormal and whatnot. Um, but I definitely want to go and investigate, you know, other haunted attractions. Um, so hopefully we can get some of their members to kind, kind of tag along with us as well. Uh, but my overall golf, uh, goal for the show is to really help promote truthfulness in the paranormal community. I'm not trying to say that all these other TV shows, it's, you know, none of it's real. I mean, you got to have ratings. So I, I totally get it. Um, but it's really about education, you know, because that's what's most important to me. I'm like, what is someone like me that has a tons of questions or has really never had the opportunity to try to come clean with somebody on the experiences that I've had? You know, who's going to be honest and truthful to me that, is going to hear me out and show me, hey, this is probably what you experienced. You know, let's figure this out. And there's, there's, we've had multiple people come to the bows like, yeah, this is a place I can actually open up and, you know, be real with somebody. Say, hey, this is what I've experienced. I hope I'm not crazy. And like, there's, there's no such thing as you being crazy for experiencing the things that you have. Um, and we just try to make it just a place that's open for everybody. So that's one of the goals for the show. And then you have all these different paranormal groups of all these different experiences. Some of them come from different uh, different backgrounds and um, and they also could be, you know, very young in the industry as well. Did I see this correctly on your social media that, that you're uh, somehow involved in teaching some classes about paranormal investigating to young adults or children? Yeah. So, um, Nick, I kind of help assist um, over at Old World Paranormal Society. This is, uh, we just did our third one this past Sunday, which has become very popular. Because um, we do honestly believe that, you know, children do have gifts because they haven't had a lot of experiences in life yet, which kind of opens up their mind more to, uh, to certain, seeing certain things or just feeling things and whatnot. Um, so yeah, we, uh, we kind of go over some of the equipment um, we kind of ask them about some of their experiences that they've had and 
if they know anything about the equipment, then they can actually pair up with one of us investigators. And we kind of go around to the different rooms and show them how to use the equipment, um, also how to debunk things. Um, so we're like, hey, let's just make sure this is, uh, you know, this is truthful here. So we're going to use this equipment right here to see if we can try to debunk that. Um, but it's, it's becoming very popular. And I think that's uh, a whole nother area um, that's that's definitely be drawing a lot of interest, you know, around the Fort Wayne area. Are you finding that a lot of the the uh, young adults that sign up for those classes have had experiences and that's why they're interested? Or are you finding it kind of being a mixed bag of some people just think it'd be cool to, to find out? It's it's honestly a little bit of everything. Um, some people have had experiences. Some people just like the whole fear factor of it, of going and doing some ghost hunting, which is perfectly okay. You know, some people don't want to dig into the the you know, the paranormal, so which is perfectly fine. But then there's some people like, hey, you know what? I've had experiences. Maybe they can help me get some answers. Really cool. So, and you said this is the third one y'all have done. How often do you do those classes? Uh, we typically do them once a month. Oh, okay. Once so that's that's pretty good. Yep. Once a month. So I guess this will be our, our third rolling month. And then um, Wednesday nights we do... Uh, paranormal investigations that are open to the public. So we give them a full tour of the facility. We also show them how the equipment works. And then if they feel comfortable enough with the equipment, they can take the equipment and go investigate in the room, or they can, you know, partner up with one of the investigators there and, and kind of go search out, you know, with them. So it's it's been fairly, fairly popular. Um, we started doing uh, ghost flashlight tours, uh, we just did our first one this last Friday. It was we had about 15, 20 people show up. And so we've got another one coming up this Friday. And it's relatively cheap, to be honest with you, because uh, to be able to come into a place that that's, uh, has good activity, to be able to work with paranormal investigators, be able to use the equipment stuff. I think I saw the event that uh, by the time this comes out, that event will already be over. But uh, I think I saw that it was like $20 a piece or something. Am I right on that? That is correct. That is so, I mean, correct. Yeah. So we're, we're it's kind of like a trial and error for us since, you know, we've only been open since uh, December. Um, so we have, you know, teams that have booked across the country. I think we've had well over 50 teams already this year um, that have kind of booked us out on Saturdays. And then we do um, public overnights as well. So we'll do like an eight hour public um, on any given Friday, usually from 7 p.m. to 3 a.m. It's about 50 bucks a person. Um, it's, it's kind of just an extended version of our Wednesdays. Nice. So before we get off of here, uh, real quick, let's go back to the show that you're trying to put out. When are you expecting this to be available to people and how will it be available to people? Um, so yeah, it'll be available, um, strictly on YouTube for now, maybe into uh, discovery plus not hundred percent. I'm sure how it's going to go yet. Um, but hopefully, hopefully, uh, late August of next year is when we'll have our uh, first episode out. And if I was to tune in, what would I be seeing? What's the, give me an idea of what an episode would look like. Um, so the uh, episode, so basically, we're just kind of um, interviewing the team that I connect with, you know, interviewing the individuals and then as a team, um, and then. It's also going to be, like I said, it's also going to be kind of educational. 
when we go to use a piece of equipment, we're going to explain what this equipment does, how it's utilized, and then also um, some ways how we can dump, debunk the equipment and things like that. Because I think there's sometimes on these shows that a lot of things do go missing. Um, they're like, well, how did they get this? Or what's their truth behind that? Um, so I really want to be able to dig deep down into, you know, the investigation part, doing EVPs and stuff like that. Um, and there might be some times where you may not see a whole lot of activity, but then there's some places where you might get tons of it. Um, so it's just, you know, like I said, releasing the truth behind, you know, investigating it's that everything that you see, like you're not going to get activity all the time. Yeah. And that's very true. And I think obviously you see it happen in these television shows. So it's like, oh man, they got so much activity in this. And reality is that was over a long period of time. And there's a lot of downtime in between. Oh my gosh. Some of these, you know, episodes, they, they spend, you know, three, four days, about a week just to get a handful of evidence. Um, so I'm like, Hey, you know, maybe that's why I'm saying maybe it's not going to be meant for like discovery plus places like that because you know, the whole ratings thing but if i can at least show people that i'm like hey this is what you can experience this is legit this is raw evidence right here maybe they'll you know drop questions for people to ask us you know we'll be able to do um q a and we also i want to be able to do um live events as well so people can say hey we've had the tour can you go investigate this room? I think I saw something in this room. We'll take our equipment. We'll go into that room, things like that. So, Very cool. Jeff, it's been fun talking with you. Tell everybody how they can keep up with uh, the show and, and everything that you got going on. Um, so right now, um, it's just under my uh, Facebook page. It's Jeff Walker-Paranormal Investigator, as well as Northeast Indiana Paranormal Group. Um, so definitely, I post a lot of content on there, especially, you know, coming here from the Bell Mansion. I'm, I'm going to be posting some uh, some more updates here in the next few months and kind of let everybody know what the, uh, what the timeline is looking like. Awesome. Like I said, it was a blast uh, connecting with you, and uh, we'll have to try to get you out at one of our live events when we're up in your area next time. Yes, sir. You guys are always welcome over here. All right, brother. I appreciate it, and thank you so much for sharing some uh, information and some time with us. Yes, my pleasure, Jerry. All right, guys, that wraps it up for this week. I hope you enjoyed that story. Yes, thank you guys for listening and hanging with us. And you guys have a safe, safe 4th of July weekend. Enjoy it with your families and don't blow nothing off. Yeah, preferably come back next week with all of your appendages. Yeah, that would be wonderful. So all I got to say is God bless America. Amen.